Are you a sneakerhead? Yeah, boy! A baller? Ballin'. Want to know about the hottest brands you can lace up and run with? Well, get ready, because we got all the details right here. Nice take by James. Oh, he stops! LeBron James puts it down in the face of James Johnson. Kevin Durant way outside. Delivers! Kevin Durant from downtown. It's a six-point game. And it goes off to Kobe. Dribble drives Kobe underneath. Puts his nose on the line again. Makes the basket. He's fouled. Oh, what a play. And Kobe, after he was fouled, after the ball nestled in the net, he waved to a cameraman down in front. Says, take my picture, baby. Sixers running the break. Iverson accelerating for the jam. It's kicks and bricks, where we got game on the streets, and on the court. Money's gotta be the shoes. Shoes, shoes, shoes. shoes. You sure it's not the shoes? I'm sure, Morris. Money's gotta be the shoes. And here's your host, Jamel Cutler. What up, what up? Welcome to Kicks. Joining us today is my bro from the sky, Sky Zoo. What's up, my G? How you doing? Peace, peace. What's going on? Before we jump into the album and all that good stuff, like I want to talk about like the cover of the album. Like, like were you making a statement on gentrification? Because Fulton and Franklin, that area don't even look the same way that it did like 15 years ago or even 10 years ago. Right. That was the whole point. You know, the cover is my son and I standing on the corner of Fulton and Franklin, and I'm pointing up, showing him what the neighborhood was and, and what it is now and what it's turning into. So I'm kind of just explaining to him what gentrification is and what's going on. So yeah, that's totally the, the MO of the cover. I'm curious to know, like me personally, I felt safer before white people came here to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you. Right. So um, like, how do you feel about um, gentrification? It's so layered, you know, which is what I, I made the album about. The album kind of just tells people exactly how I feel about it. You know, I hate the idea of people coming in and moving us out. You know, I think people mm-hmm. assume gentrification or people who have a, a bad taste with gentrification. It's just, oh, you know, they don't want certain other types of people coming into a neighborhood. No, that's not it. We're all about unity and everybody coming in and moving in and having a good time and enjoying the neighborhood with us. But when you come in, you can't change us. You can't change the neighborhood and you can't kick us out. If you come in and enjoy the neighborhood and want to make it better while enjoying who we are and, and letting us be who we are as a people and unifying with us, then it's all going to be love. You know what I mean? But when you come in trying to kick us out, take away what we've built, change what we've built, destroy the things that we've built in the community that we've put together, then we have a problem. Facts like the neighborhood might look good cosmetically, but like culturally and spiritually, this shit is dead to me now. Yeah, absolutely. There's no culture. And like the culture that I know of, you know, my block growing up, it felt like do the right thing and it felt like Crooklyn. Like that was my block. Those two movies Mm -hmm. put together, that was my block, you know, and now that's gone. Now my block is an episode of Friends, you know, and and, and it's a whole different vibe now, man. And and, uh, we're not here for it, you know, so that's what the record is about. And that's the reason behind it. Growing up, did you ever imagine that Best Eye would like look the way that it does right now? No, nah, not as a kid. Um, when I got older, I knew when the Barclays mm-hmm. was breaking ground that this was going to happen. You know, I knew when the Barclays came up and they, they had that picture of Jay and them digging the dirt out with the shovel and all that. It was like, oh, this is about to happen. This is definitely about to happen now. Because when you build something like a Barclays Center, 
you can't just put a Barclays Center in the middle of all this activity. You got to build around it. So now we got to get these people out of these houses so we could build restaurants and cafes and coffee shops and wineries and cheese bars and all these types of things to serve the people who are going to be going to the Barclays Center. You know, so um, once that happened, once they broke ground on that, there was a go after that. I said, oh, this is about to happen. But as a kid, nah, you never think home is going to change. You have a new album, like all the brilliant things. Like, how did you come up with the concept? Conceptually, it's all about gentrification and uh, culture, cultural appropriation. And I just was a little over it. I was tired of what was going on. I was tired of, you know, where we are with things as a people, with our culture and the things that we built, you know, the art that we create, the lanes that we create and the money that we generate for other people. I was tired of where all that was going. And I was also tired of our neighborhoods becoming what they've become. So I just wanted to speak on it. That was all. I forgot to say this earlier, like about the Barclays Center, like I remember back in the day in that area, like nobody would like, would like be around that area. Absolutely. Like, at Absolutely night. not. Yeah, yeah, it, it was crazy. Yeah. Like Now it's crazy. Over there. Like, there was so much action going on, you know? Yeah. I leave Nets games and and I see people walking dogs, um, going to Starbucks. I'm like- Night, all that, it's, yeah. It's, it's just crazy to me. Yeah. Coming back to the album now, like I like the sampling choices that you had. It's like a very soulful selection, like in a blueprint Kanye type of way. What went into your process when you when it came to um, sampling? It was just about the beats that I heard that I loved. You know, some of the records I gave the producers the sample and I said, yo, here, I want you to chop this up and, and let's turn it into something crazy. And in some of the records, the beat, you know, was what it was already. Like a producer will send me a beat and it already has that sample in it. And it was just the stuff that I was into. You know, I would hear it and be like, yo, I need that. Yo, I need this. I need, you know, it, it was just what I was into. And it all helped tell a story. Everyone loves the sunshine. That's like a classic dope sample that you use. Like, um, and it kind of perfectly conveyed the message that you were trying to convey on right. um, Humble Bag. No, that was on Something to Believe In. Oh, right. Yeah, Something to Believe In. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's... um. Yeah. It, it, it all just came together real nice. And the good thing about it is that the people feel the same way I felt, you know, when I was putting it together, the people get the message and get what I was trying to do. And they're all about it, you know, and, and that's why we're sitting here now, because of how the people, including yourself, have responded to the record. You know, I was listening to um, Trapper Rapper earlier and Plugs and um, Connections. Yeah. Was that like kind of based off your own experiences growing up? Yeah, you know, the whole the whole album, you know, the whole album is, is stuff that I lived and um stuff I've been through. So, you know, what um what I was supposed to be a trap rapper, you know, with that record, it was me just talking about these two different worlds growing up in. You know, you grow up in this type of world and then you're a fan of this type of music as well as the other type of music from that other world, and you're kind of caught in the middle. And that's really what the record was about, and me just showing based on where I grew up and who I grew up around, I was supposed to be this type of artist, but I chose to bust a left and become that type of artist, you know? So, um, you know, become this whole other type of, of, of artist. And that was the concept behind that record. And then with Plugs and Connections, yeah, it was just about knowing we, you know, we as, as brown folk coming up in our neighborhoods, we don't have a lot of people to show us the way and tell us about property, ownership, things of that nature. So when you're presented with certain opportunities of buying a brownstone or buying a store or whatever, you may not understand it and you may miss out. And then 
the people that do have those plugs and connections that do have those people to tell them what's what and break it down to them and give them that guidance. They're the ones who wind up buying the property. And most of the time, they don't look like you and I. They look a little different. Take, for example, my block now. Like back in the day, it all used to be like black and Spanish. Now, most of the homeowners, they're Jewish and like they basically rent out to black and Hispanic yeah. people now. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Right. So, like, the thing I like most about your album that it kind of took me back to like the 90s, um, a time like, where we brought like the actual tape instead of like the CD. Yeah. Because because to me, like the tape was like a different experience. Yeah. Like, like have you ever considered like releasing one of your projects out on tape just for like oh, yeah. the I did, um, feel? Yeah, I released uh, music for my friends on tape back in 2015. And I'm definitely working on releasing this one on tape for sure. I kind of came about like when tapes was just starting to fade out and CDs was, um popping mm -hmm. you know and i kind of wish i could have like gone back to like the early 90s and like really listen to stuff like on tape because to me it's like a whole different experience and a different sound yeah, the tape era was great the tape era was great yeah. it really really yeah. was it was a good time i lived through all of that i was there for every part of it speaking about the tape era you know one thing i miss about going to j street downtown brooklyn was like going to all those record stores and and like actually buying music mm -hmm. And discovering like new stuff like that's an experience I would love to have again. Yeah. But but gentrification and streaming, you know, kind of killed that for for everybody. Yeah, it was a good time when you could go to a store and and sit there and listen to the record before you bought it, or just sit there and buy the record and open up the tape, open up the CD, and read the credits and be so excited to get home, or be so excited to put it in your Walkman or your Discman. You know, that was a really, really great era, you know, and again, I lived through all of that and it was wonderful. And while we're on gentrification, like I know you're a Knicks guy, but um, and we'll get to them in a moment. But how you feel about the Nets and um, and about KD's, you know, record breaking performance the other night? I mean, K KD is a monster. He lost his mind in that game. You know, I watched it and, you know, like all of us, if you're a fan of basketball, you're a fan of the sport and you're a fan of mm -hmm you know, really going forward and getting to it. I mean, he is easily one of the greatest, one of the greats, one of the greatest ever, all those types of things. I'm not a Nets fan at all. You know what I mean? I don't, yeah. I don't rock the Nets at all, not even a little bit. I feel like they're the New Jersey Nets that have come over. They're, they're, they're the gentrified mm -hmm. Nets, you know? Like, it makes perfect sense that they're in Brooklyn, coming from Jersey, now repping Brooklyn. It makes perfect sense. They're the gentrified Nets, you know? So, um, and all the gentrifiers love them. So <laughs> it makes perfect sense. But um, but KD got, you know, he got super busy. He went crazy. And you got to applaud that man 150%. A lot of people kind of feel that way about the Nets. And, and when I say people, I mean, like, like people that's from Brooklyn. Like, they love Brooklyn through and through. But they just don't mess with the Nets for that Knicks same fan, reason. Baby, that's it. I'm a, I'm a Knicks fan, man. The Knicks ran the whole New York, including Brooklyn. You know, that's it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like the Nets, but I just feel that they're not a proper representation of the real Brooklyn. Exactly. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like right. Brooklyn. It never did. From the first the first team they rolled out with, with Joe Johnson and Darren Williams, and I'm a big Darren Williams fan, but like it just didn't feel like it. It the Knicks mm -hmm. felt more Brooklyn than the Nets, especially back then with my man Melo and Amari and you know Tyson and Shump and JR that felt like a Brooklyn team you know what I mean the way they moved the way they played the swag the little bit of you know just 
wilding out a little bit on the court, off the court, that felt like a Brooklyn team. The Nets never felt like a Brooklyn team. They are the gentrified Nets. So, like, I have a hypothetical question for you. Say, for example, I'm not saying that he's going to do this. Say if Carmelo Anthony, he joins the Nets next season just to chase a championship. Mm-hmm. Would you um kind of root for the Nets just because Carmelo um, is chasing the ring? I'm going to root for my bro because that's my man. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know, it, it doesn't change the way I feel about the Knicks and the Nets, but I am I, mm-hmm. that that's when I would root for them to be successful as long as they're not playing us. You know what I'm saying? As long as they're not playing the Knicks because that's my man, you know, and that, that's fam. So. so the Knicks, they just had a hell of a season, you know. They yeah. kind of overachieved for oh, who's yeah. on their roster. I mean, like, oh, yeah. there's it's a bunch of journeymen, you know, people that was just, like, thrown off of other teams or – it's basically free agent signing. Like, how would you kind of gauge this past year for the Knicks? It was a Cinderella season. You know, it wasn't supposed to go this way. Uh, it was amazing that it went this way, but it wasn't supposed to go this way. So it, it was a Cinderella mm-hmm. season. But the good thing about it is it's something to build off of. You know, you don't right. turn around and say, well, we got lucky. Let's go back to the lottery again. No, no, no. Now there's expectations. Now there's hype. Now there's all right, people watching, players, agents, mm-hmm. fans enemies haters everybody's watching the league is on notice so now you got to build on that and keep going so shout to leon rose and wes and even james dolan for staying out the way and you know the whole regime up there scott perry of course everybody behind the scenes who pushed that and was really pushing that agenda and getting that right tibbs without a doubt and and all the players behind it you know julius randall lost his mind in the offseason and went crazy and that was beautiful and RJ developed a little bit more and it's just about continuous growth now. They still need to upgrade that roster. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's still a lot of those guys that can leave as like half those guys can be gone, you know, and, and replace them with guys who do what they do a little better, if not a lot better, but it was a great step in the right direction. You know, one thing that they finally got right and it took them about 20 years to get it right. It was that they finally established a culture. I'm like, yeah. And that's something Right, and that's something they haven't had since, um, like Jeff and Gundy was there, right. and I, and ironically, you know, a Jeff and Gundy disciple Tibbs, he like, like he was the one that actually brought back, you know, that hard working, defensive mentality. Like, how would you assess the job that he did as coach this season? I mean, wonderful, fantastic job. You know, him winning coach of the year only made sense. He was supposed to get that. You know, everything he did with that roster. He took them way beyond anybody else could have. That roster is not really legit. Like, they, yeah. I, you know, Julius is great. I'm an RJ fan. You know, it's a couple guys over there. I like Alec Burks and, you know, Derek Rose was fantastic, you know, and, you know, Taj did what he did and, and brought all that to the table, which was a dope thing. A lot of them guys over there, other than that, wasn't really it, you know, and, and what he did, though, you know, I'm, I'm forgetting some guys, Nerlens, of course. Mitchell, you know, mm-hmm. but but a mo, you know, whatever. We don't have to name everybody, but you know, he took that roster of ragtag guys and, and gave them a run. So imagine him with a roster that really, really, really got some talent. Right, you know, man. You can only see wonderful things coming from that. You know, and Julius, like he made huge strides this year. All totally. NBA, totally all star, um, most improved player. Like, do you see him as like, like a franchise cornerstone or like do you kind of see him like as playing the Robin to somebody else's Batman? I see him as one of the franchise cornerstones. I don't see him as the only one. I see him as one of. I think 
the series against the Hawks kind of proved that. And when you zero in on Sun, so much other stuff got to be around him, just like anybody else in the league. And it just so happened we didn't have enough stuff around him. I So I see him as one of, you know, I, I think he plays a, a second or third, uh, a second or third wing, a second or third uh, wheel, for lack of a better term, not a wing, a second or third wheel on a team that could really go there, you know, but he, he's fantastic. He really got busy and I hope he continues to get busy over the summer. I hope that Atlanta series put a fire on them and he just go running the same way he did during COVID that he just go mm-hmm. running, get busy. Cause he came back monstrous, you know? And um, the Hawks and Nate and Nate McMillan, they kind of expose like his main weakness. Like he can't post up for a big, like he can face up the basket and shoot, but like, yeah, but what? But once you take that away, it basically takes him out the game, and I kind of hope he works on that. Right, in right. All season. Another guy that that I kind of hope is like like locked in a gym somewhere is R.J. Barrett. Like I know he's only 20, 21, but like I but like I like I want to see him take the next step so bad. Like like I just don't want to see him turning into Andrew Wiggins two point <laughs> I feel you. Yeah, RJ RJ is dope, man. He's got a great motor. He's strong, big body, strong and all that, fast. Again, just being locked in the gym, like you said, I think if he work on that handle some more, and I think if he get that jumper wet, every he'll be unstoppable at that point. There's two things I think he really needs to work on is that jumper and that handle, and then he'll be he'll be lethal. He'll be unstoppable. You know, I, I, as a lefty, I really think he needs to model his game 1,000% after James Harden. You know, just the finesse and how smooth James Harden is as a lefty. James Harden plays like a righty, but oh, plays, plays left-handed. Most lefties aren't that smooth with it. They could be super nice, mm-hmm. but they're not that smooth. Like the way James handled, the way James Harden handled the ball is so smooth. And the way he come in and out of his, his setup and the way he moved, it's just this finesse to it that feels like a righty, but it's all lefty. And I think if RJ becomes half of that, He'll be something for real. How about Jalen Rose? Because like back in his day, he was a lefty too. Uh, Jaylen, you know, yeah, he's another one. Score. He's another yeah. one. Yeah, Jalen Rose was dope. You know, he was super dope. And he kind of played for the Knicks too for a spell back in the day. For a second, and, yeah. And in his later years, but that was during the dark era. I mean, <laughs> right. We're not. Yeah, we're not gonna talk about that. Another guy that I have like high hopes for is IQ. Like to me, yeah. he's everything that that Isozo was supposed to be. Dig that, dig that. Yeah, I want him to get a little stronger because being that he's an undersized two guard, he's going to have to be stronger. Um, to be a 6'3 two guard is tough, you know, so mm-hmm. I want him to get a little more muscle and a little more weight room going on. But he got a great game, though, great game. Had a wonderful rookie season. And, uh, yeah, he, he's awesome. You know, that was a diamond in the rough for sure. Needle in the haystack. And he's a little Lou Will. You know, and I think that's the perfect calling for him. A guy that comes off the bench, first person off the bench, and can mess around and give you 15, might even give you 30 once in a while. Like, he's a microwave, blue wheel type guy who can go for it. You know, I just want him to get a little stronger, maybe put on five, ten more pounds of weight, maybe five, but, um, you know, just get a little stronger. I kind of want to see him start at the one, like, because his game is kind of interesting to me. Like, he's big enough to – um to cause matchup problems yeah. for other point guards. But at the same time, he's not really a true point. Like, he can play point in spurts, but, like, I wouldn't trust him, 
like in key situations to be the point guard. But, you know, like maybe he can start at the two and then if Derrick Rose is still the starting point guard, which I hope he's not, then maybe he can, like IQ can be the backup point and somebody else can be the two. Kind of yeah, something like that. The only thing about him running the one, man, he's not really keen on passing that rock. He don't really like to pass yeah. that rock around. So I need my point guards to be true point guards. I'm, I'm old school in that regard. I This hybrid point guard, hybrid forward, I'm not a fan. Like I need my point guard to be a real point guard. I need him to be looking to set that man up. But if you need him to, he can go get you 25 if you need him to. But he's looking, his first agenda, he wants eight, nine assists. That's the point guard I need. You know, I don't like this new era of, yeah, he a point, but he taking 40 shots. I, I think it's corny. Like, I feel you on that, but if Dane kind of made his way to MSG, like, I wouldn't mind. Oh, Dame is fantastic. Shots. But the thing about Dame, Dame does look to set up people. You know, Dame, Dame is probably the best representation of a true point guard who can go out there and get you 25, 30 a night if he has to. You know, Dame looks to set people up. He's not a, a chuck point guard. He's not chucking you, you know, but before you blink, he already got 25. You're like, damn, when did he do that? I just saw him setting people up. He already got 25. Like, that's great. You know, like, Dame is fantastic, without a doubt. That's kind of my dream situation. Well, one of my dreams at, at point guard. Um, You know, we got Dame starting and D-Rose and IQ off the bench. Like, were you surprised to see um the resurgence of Derrick Rose this year? He yeah, I loved it. I wasn't really surprised because I knew he still had that in the tank. It just was about the right situation. I mean, he's young, you know, he's not I mean, he's not 20, but he's also not 40. You know, what is he, 31? That's not old. You know what I mean? I think right. we, we look at it like it's old. 31 is nothing, man. Like, you know, my little brother's 32. Like, that 31 is nothing. So he's, what, 31, 32? That's nothing. Like, he's still young. He's still got time in front of him, you know. Yeah, his body may be different because he had a lot of injuries, but he showed he could still go. He showed it every night once he got traded. And he showed that the mid-range is not dead. And I love still, it. Love the mid-range because right. points is points. You know, I hate mm -hmm. this whole cross the half court and then chuck it up. I hate that. Like, points is points, man. If you get 18 points all mid-range, that's 18 points regardless. You know what I mean? Like, regardless, that's 18 points no matter how you got them. Like, I think Derrick Rose, he can be, like, a valuable mentor to, like, young and up-and-coming guards. Like, yeah, if they get they, and if they get their hands on Lonzo Ball, like, even if they got to overpay for him, like... Yeah, I, I would love Lonzo to be with us next year. Too. Definitely would love it. Like, like, he fits the system. I mean, he's a defensive-minded point guard, pass first. Yeah. I mean, if we get... I mean, I don't say we, but if they get him... At the point, you know, Randall, I think that's a pretty good, you know, foundation to right. have. Absolutely. Another position I want to see them upgrade at is the wing. Like, I kind of had my eye on Kawhi if the Clippers got upset early. But, you know, the news of today with his torn ACL. Yeah, it's crazy. Know, um, crazy. Like, I like Reggie Bullock, but he's not a starting wing. No, no, I agree. <laughs> not at all. But he's going to get paid this offseason. I just hope it's not from the Knicks. I agree with you. So, like, they struggled, like, in the front court the whole season. Like, Mitch was hurt. Noel did the best that, that he could until he got hurt. And Taj is a soldier to the end. Like, yeah. Like, like how do you want to see them upgrade at this position? 
I don't know. I don't know what's out there as far as centers. Um, I mean, Miles Turner would be great, but they're going to have to give up some things for him. Um, you don't want to have to give up too much for any of the moves you're making. I don't know who the free agent centers are, but Miles Turner would be great. I think he would be a great compliment to Julius and whatever guards we may have coming up. So, um, but who knows? Who knows if Indiana lets him go? I mean, they have the draft picks. So, I mean. Yeah. Is it worth that? I don't know. I don't know if it's worth I that. Mean, Maybe. Like, I wouldn't trade the house for Miles Turner, but like one or right. two picks and one of the young guys. Yeah. I think that's a good. Um, it could be a, a good place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if they get a third team involved, like, who knows? Yeah. That happened to me. All right. So, like, um, since you've been a Knicks fan for a long time, like, who's, like, your all-time favorite Knicks? Because, like, mine's a Spree, Starks, Mellow, Ewan, and it's, and then after that, it's a toss-up between um, Bernard King and, and Clyde. Yeah, that's a great list. Uh, for me, um, definitely Mellow, Clyde, Earl of Pearl, of course, um, Pat, and I guess at the four, we got to go Oak. Got to go Oak at the four. Yeah. It was, it was just crazy. I just bought his um, throwback jersey from Mitchell and Ness. Okay. The other oh. day. Oh. It's, he's one of my favorite dudes. And I hope one day that they kind of, that Oak and the Knicks, they can um, kind of rectify what happened. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel you. Yeah, man. It's kind of like watching your family fight. Like, nobody yeah, wins. Right. I mean, yeah, nobody wins when the family fight. Right. All right, bro. So, like, I want to thank you for your time today. Um, you always put out quality work. Um, you've been putting it on for BK for the longest. And yeah. you're one of the most underappreciated artists that's out right now. Oh, man. Well, you know, brothers like you appreciating it, so it's all good, man. I, I appreciate the love, and you know, it's, it's it's been a dope journey, and we still riding. You know, we still got more more room on this map to drive, and it's been awesome, man. The album's out right now. All the brilliant things is tearing up the world, and we all good. Peace and love. All right, man.